Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Heart of Memphis, a weekly conversation exploring the contours of the arts, commerce, culture, and faith. Every episode, we try to take you to the heart of the city. The Heart of the City is brought to you by a partnership between Lux Creative and Lindenwood Christian Church. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our latest episode of The Heart of the City. Jeff Mitchell here. As always, we want to thank the growing number of subscribers that we have that take the time to download this episode and hear the stories that we tell. As always, you can find us on your podcasting app of choice. And if you like what we're doing, give us a rating and a review. If you don't like what we're doing, don't give us a rating and review. But if you do like it, go ahead and share this, share these stories with friends because we think we have some good stories to tell about our beautiful and broken city. We're so excited to have Josh Horton with us today the Director of Creative Works, and a whole lot more that led him up to that point. Josh, thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks, Jeff, for having me. I appreciate it. I am glad to have you here. I understand that you have some deep roots in this city, so I like to always ask this question because deep down, I love Tom T. Hall. How'd you get to Memphis? So I was born and raised here. I uh, grew up in a house right outside, or I guess in the neighborhood that was right next to a, a water park called Adventure River. Okay, I hear Adventure River is something that longtime Memphians would understand. Absolutely, yeah. It was an incredible place that, you know, you would watch. I was just talking about this earlier. Like, you'd watch Hollywood shows, and they would talk about, they would show things like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and they'd show a water park on there. And then before you know it, they're building one in your backyard, literally. And, like, so what a what a cool experience to have as a kid. We had season passes. We'd sneak our friends in. I mean, we just hung out there all day long until the thing closed in September. So, Oh, man. You know, I hear about all of these things that used to make Memphis hum. I've heard about what's the name of the roller coaster at Liberty Land, the, the Flying Pippin? The Zippin' Pippin. The Zippin' Pippin, yes. The fly, I don't know. I'm not from here. I'm it's sorry. Okay. It's okay. That's great. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, I never got to ride that, but maybe some of our older listeners will remember You actually that. can ride it. It's uh it's actually a part. They tore it down. It's a wooden roller coaster. Yes. They tore it down and rebuilt it, I think, in Minneapolis maybe, some someplace up north. No kidding. Yeah, so you can go ride it today if you wanted to. There was a man who I helped with his funeral. His name was Alan Wells, and he had helped take it apart. And I think he stole, if I understood this right, he's, he's now no longer with us, so we can tell this story. He took a few of the pieces of the wood as, as memorabilia sure. and then helped construct it inside of Kevin Page's home music studio. <laughs> That's incredible. I know. Isn't that incredible? Hey, Kevin, can I come see that? Yes. We, uh, maybe we'll take a tour out there. One yeah, of these that's days. amazing. That is amazing. All right, so you grew up here in the city. Tell me what it was like growing up here. Oh, I loved it. Um, you know, when you're a kid in Memphis, I mean, in the 80s, basically, uh, you know, we had everything. It was like new malls. I mean, I was just talking to someone the other day about – uh, I grew up where I went to this place called the Raleigh Springs Mall, which is no longer uh, – it's now a police station and a li- uh, library. But grew up going to the Raleigh Springs Mall, and that was just like you saw everyone there, every – you know, everything from Camelot Music where I got mm. all of my records. That was before records. Cats, right? Yes. Um, so Camelot Music was there. And then there was oh, – I can't think of all the places, but – the movie theater is what I remember the most. Uh, what would happen is a Sunday, uh, or sorry, Saturdays, my mom would go shopping. That's the way she got us out of the house. I mean, she didn't always buy stuff, but she would just be like, oh, Saturday we're going shopping. So she'd drop us off at the mall. My, my sister and I would kind of do our own thing. And most of the time I would convince my mom to let me go see a movie. So I saw, you know, Back to the Future, uh, The Goonies, so many, you know, feature films back in the day that continue to inspire me, you know, and kind of the way I think about uh, creativity and all those things today. 
you know, music connoisseurs may disagree with me. That's the best Cindy Lauper song. Oh, for sure. Yes, yeah. the Goonies. They're good yeah. enough for me. That's right. Ba 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 ba. Yeah, it's absolutely. the one I listen to most. Of it's all. the it, it, your your true colors are shining through. That's right. I appreciate that. <laughs> all right. <laughs> but now you have also referenced in, in you know in, in conversations we had just to get to know each other before the show that you eventually made a leap. You know, you right. grow up here in a, in a very uh, idyllic moment, and you know, go to the mall and see the movies. The eighties. Let's long live the eighties. You made your way out to Seattle. Right, right. That is quite a culture shock, is it sure, not? To absolutely. go from, you know, the, 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 the pristine suburbs of Memphis to the Pacific Northwest. That's right. A little, little different worldview out there? A little different, yeah, and, and a lot of new men on bicycles. Um, but, yeah, it was, uh, it was fantastic. <laughs> so what, 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 made you make, uh, un, what made you pack up and head out west? Sure. So the gist of that was I was working at um, Ardent Studios and Records, uh, I was um, a, a recording engineer for two years, and I, I, there's a story in there that I won't share here, but just something happened at the studio, decided I didn't want to be an engineer anymore. And they had a hole in the organization where um, Christopher Reyes, who's a really fantastic person you should get on this show, he had left and gone to um, – he had basically gone to freelance for himself, and so they needed someone to build websites and do album artwork and advertising and things like that. And I would taken a course – uh, at the school that I went to learn recording engineering from, I'd taken a course on that, and then I started kind of dabbling on the computer, trying to figure out how to help fill that gap for them. And um, before you know it, I was doing you know adver- advertisements that was they were going in national publications. I was designing album artwork, um, you know things that anyone you know T-shirts, all that stuff. Things that the signage on the outside of Ardent Studios is I designed that. Like, I mean, basically doing a lot of things that I probably shouldn't have been doing at that time. And, um, and it was great because they all thought that I was the best and I could fill this gap and all this stuff. And so I just felt like I was looking at my industry peers, looking at people, the music I was buying, and it was so much more beautiful and inspirational than anything that I was encountering on my own work and the work of the people around me. And so I decided to take an internship um, with a company called Asterix Studios in Seattle so I did a summer I, – I basically booked a summer internship. I had hired this company to do a, a record for a band called Skillet. Ah, uh, I love Skillet. <clears throat> yeah, so Skillet Collide um, was the album that we hired Asterix Studio to design. I hired that, made that connection, and then I just said, hey, do you need some help this summer? And the gist is like, hey, I would go out to Seattle for a few months, you know, intern for them, get a day job, live there, and um, – and learn from them, figure out how they do what they do and bring that back to the city. That's kind of my heart's always been there. And so um, I did that. I I saved up two grand and I moved out, just drove out to Seattle, uh, lived with uh, three other people in a house and made it work. Um, And before you know it, one of the uh, art directors at Tooth & Nail Records, which is kind of where I the, I, we had uh, offices in the basements of Tooth & Nail Records. Uh, the person was leaving, going to New York, and said, hey, you should take my position when I leave. And then I just kind of poked around, and they gave me a job, and I stayed in Seattle for three years. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you eventually make your way back here, because I know you have deep roots, and That's right. you've got some great work that we're going to talk about in a second that you're doing here in the city. What, what summons you back here? So I was working – so we basically it was at the end of – the music industry doing really well. We had taken on jobs for like 30 and 50 grand for like photo shoots and album artwork and all these things. And we were just consistently getting large amounts for music packaging and promotion and assets and stuff like that. 
And towards the tail end, this is like 2007-ish, like the end of 2006, 2007. And basically that's when things like LimeWire and Napster and all the, you know, music sharing, iTunes, all of that stuff became so uh, prevalent and pervasive in music where music basically just wasn't paid for anymore. And this was impacting the label that we were friends with in the industry. And so um, I just didn't, frankly, didn't see a future for me. Um, that Asterix studio had split, like the print uh, version went off one way with me. And then the web version went off another, another way. And so I was staying with my you know, friend, Don Clark, and we were doing a lot of the, um, the print work and the money just wasn't coming in. And I just wasn't seeing a future, not to mention Don Ryan Clark now run Invisible Creature, uh, which um, is an incredible design studio that's out of Maple Valley, Valley Washington. And it, the story all along was really about these two brothers. And it's not really relevant here, but these you should look it up, invisiblecreature.com. Incredible work. Um, and uh, I just knew that the story wasn't there, and I wanted to go back home to Memphis to teach and impact this community because of how quickly I grew in my time in Seattle. So as you make your way here, I'm hearing some reoccurring themes, so forgive me if I, if I start to draw some connections. You correct me if I'm wrong. Obviously, gifted, with, um, gifted in a creative way, that gets manifest and, and, and um, utilized in things like communications and design and building websites and, and brand management. Um, and at the same time, I can say as a professional, too often those folks get treated like, hired hands sure like you're the guy that cut my grass just do it and go away that's right as opposed to being at the center of um the conversation about how how to dream with an organization how to how commute everything you know everything communicates that's one of the phrases that that i've leaned on does that sound accurate that there is uh for people in your business that in, in, in with the gifts that you have about designing brands and helping communicate that it that it's often diminished by those that need need it the most it is. And I, I will say this. I learned something really important in Seattle. Um, the things that we won awards for and got put in books and magazines and published, you know, all over the world were things where we got more of the, like, free reign of the creativity and the, and the work and the ideation of. And the ones that we basically never put in the portfolio or hid from folks were the ones where, you know, the band manager or the band just over um, – asserted themselves in the process, right? Didn't allow us to do what we were good at. And so in that same way, when I came back to Memphis, I mean, and this is, this doesn't exist in this city. Uh, it's, it's everywhere really. I think it's more so here is that creative people are kind of put as the last, um, you know, last spot in the totem pole. We're kind of asked to make other people's ideas look amazing. And, um, and we're not put in the thick of the process, which I think, you know, that's the kind of work when we're when we're included in the process. That's the kind of work that you remember. That's the kind of stuff that's really amazing, and engaging. And uh, so often people don't lean into us for that. They're just kind of like, OK, well, here's this. Do that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, no amount of communication can can convince them, you know, that they're not as valuable in the conversation as you are. So it's just it's a really tricky thing especially in I, what I would call post-industrial cities like cities that once had the heyday um, you know there's just a lot of people in power a lot of money around and then when it, when they're thinking about uh, building something or creating things it's like they want to make sure that their hand is in the thick of all of it right because they lose their power 
if uh, if it's if it's any other way. You're not going to believe me, but I had in my notes how do creatives thrive in late stage post industrial capitalism? Really? <laughs> yes, that's incredible. I, I can show yeah. you that. So I, I want you to define something for me. What is a creative? This is one of those phrases that gets thrown around like millennial. It's just a catch-all for Absolutely. everybody that knows how to make a website, which we know is not true. But what, what is a creative? Yeah, I could say it a lot of different ways, but I think it's just someone who innately uh, just thinks differently, you know, that, that looks at something um, that exists and wants to improve it, that looks at something um, that seems to have a lot of constraints and understands how to get around those or how to improve that within those constraints. Um, and someone, you know, you could call them then a creative professional who can then take that into a service industry and actually provide services for people and make money at that, right? So that's what I think that's what I'm in the intersection of is I'm, I'm trying to help artists and creative people understand their value as service providers so that they can make a living, right? Mm. So they can make a living being illustrators, being uh, typographers, uh, you know, sign makers, um, you know, fashion designers, product designers, yes, web design, um, brand experts, storytellers, those things. I mean, you know, when you're talking about capitalism, uh, you know, and talking about people selling things, the way that you do that best is by making something that's different, right? And so when a creative person looks at something that exists, they know how to, you know, they're either, it's either snake oil and they'll find a way to make it sound different. Uh, or they'll really find the truth in the matter, especially if you plug them in in the beginning, they will make it different. And so I think that, you know, as people, I don't know who listens to this, uh, you know, what the makeup is at the moment, but like 10,000 people and they're all millionaires. Absolutely. So, okay. so for those people, I would say that, you know, I think it's best to include creative people on the front end of these discussions of what they're doing and what they're building. And there's a lot to unpack there because there are a lot of people who call themselves creative, but they don't know how to wield that. Yeah. And, um, and that's what I'm in the, the business of. I want to help people understand how to wield creativity, not only for their own benefit and their family's benefit, but for the community that's around them. Well, that's a great transition into a conference that you have founded. And um, we'll, we'll talk in a minute about the next step, the next one you have coming up. But tell us about the process of birthing creative works, what right. that is and, and how it came about. Because I, you know, over the last few days getting ready for this interview, I just continue to be more and more impressed with with what you're doing and the people that that are sharing. And I found myself saying, "Well, you know, I probably need to pay attention to this." And, and I didn't even know what's happening right here in our city. Tell us about Creative Works. Thank you. I mean, thank you for your interest. Thank you for having me on here. I, you know, Creative Works. Um, creative Works was birthed out of you know. I went off to Seattle again. I came back to Memphis, and a lot of my younger friends that I went to college with, they were I left, they were incredibly excited about the, just the possibilities of a creative career. And when I came back to Memphis, a lot of them had just gotten day jobs, basically, you know, desk jobs, you know, either like in the basement of a building, you know, uh, or they had gotten, you know, a job at a larger corporation, just grinding it out day in and day out. And so we would go to, I'd go, Hey, let's go have beers. Let's talk about whatever. And like, a lot of them didn't even want to go out with me because they had known that I'd done some really cool stuff in another city and, you know, kind of made a little bit of a name for myself. And, and I came back and so many people were just kind of disengaged and kind of bummed out. And they had taken all this passion that they had for changing things and they'd kind of burned through it, if you will. And so um, in my attempt to help reignite the creativity or the creative community in Memphis, 
I thought, well, hey, why don't I just go and get all of my friends who are speaking at conferences all over the country, bring them to Memphis for a couple of days to help inspire and ignite you know, something here in Memphis where creative people can, can start to understand their value and being a part of what's next in Memphis, right? That was the, the impetus, if that's the right word to use there, of, of the conference. And what was incredible about it is we sold that out in, uh, I think it was three weeks. We sold tickets out in three weeks, and we sold tickets not only to people here in town. 60 of, 60% of the first iteration of the conference was from people in town, but 40% of those folks were from everywhere else in the country. Oh, wow. And so, um, so it, you're really meeting a need in this. It's not just oh, yeah. the people that you used to work with went away, came back, and they're burned out. This That's is right. a, this is something this across a larger. The- yeah, absolutely. It's a larger need, and and it's it's universal in that um, creative people uh, have something to share. They want to share. They want to help, and they feel mostly because of dynamics uh, in communities, dynamics in companies, they feel alone. And so when they get a chance to, to get with other people and have community and learn from each other, to commiserate with each other, they, it's, like, it's like going to church revival or going to church camp, right? It's like they get incredibly inspired and motivated to change and to change either their circumstances or improve their work, whatever it is. And um, it took off. It was, it was really fantastic. One of the things that I know about myself is, like, I can get some clarity of thought in isolation, but I only dream in community. That's right. Like, I, all my best thoughts of, of, like, all right, we'll do this or let's try that come in collaborative conversation that almost has no agenda other than let's be together and see what happens. And so it sounds like what the conference you're offering kind of creates an intentional opportunity for people to, to collaborate and, and think differently. It does, absolutely. We Again, our lineup this year um, will have over 25 people that I'll bring in from all across the country and a handful of people from Memphis. And really, it's, it's, a, it's my attempt at helping people, again, understand the possibilities of a creative career to also understand the possibilities of creative work. This, these are people that have changed their communities, right? It's an, I'm inviting individuals from certain communities to come in and talk about this. I'm inviting heads of huge agencies across, globally to come in and talk about what they're doing and, and how they, what they think of design, what do they think of creativity, and give their perspective. And we do this over and over and over again at the conference. And so someone sitting in those seats is going to resonate with one of those stories, and it's going to shake something loose that will help them create something uh, you know, incredible next time they sit down at their computer or the next time they try to solve a problem. Well, we know you have your next conference coming up. Uh, Creative Works is going to be in, in October. Uh, That's right. t- tell us everything somebody would want to know and then what, where, where they can go to find out more information. Yeah, so this the next conference is our eighth annual conference. Oh, wow. Uh, we've had it in Memphis, um, you know, every year. We had it virtually last year, and we took a, some time off in 2020, but it's our eighth annual conference. It's October 6th through 8th. It's at the Halloran Center. Uh, we break it up into a few different experiences. We'll have uh, at least 15 to 18 talks. Um, so just stories of inspiration, stories of connections, people sharing their beliefs and their perspectives, their thoughts about the careers that they have and the work that they do. Uh, it's really empowering. Then we have um, 10 workshops that people can plug into. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about it in a minute. It's incredibly affordable. Um, but we have workshops where they literally learn skills you know, during that weekend that they can employ on Monday morning when they get back to their computers. Um, it's everything from illustration to lettering to storytelling 
um, to your personal brand, how to be a freelancer, how to do things like, uh, you know, your books and invoicing and all of that stuff to really empower people to, you know, take their career in their own hands. And then we have a, something that's really just over, uh, it's overlooked in Memphis, but we have a, a thing called the Creative Works Market that happens alongside of the event. And we bring in 35 vendors from all over the country um, and basically a handful of people from Memphis. We kind of swap it out every year just so people know that these folks exist. But it's one of the most amazing, uh, if you've been to like things like Crafts and Drafts or, right? I think that's what that's called. Um, crafts and Drafts or the Memphis Holiday Market, things like that. It's like that on steroids. Mm. And, it's, and it's people from all over the country that do some of the most compelling work and sell the most compelling products and art uh, that you can find and you can meet The other thing is that it's not just a booth where they're selling their stuff. It's the maker sitting behind that booth who's, you know, will engage with you and tell you more about what they're doing, why they're doing it, and things like that. So, Well, where can people go online to find out more about this? Creativeworks.co. CO. Uh, Yeah, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, all that stuff at Creativeworks. Okay. Wow. Well, I hope you I hope you have a good event. I was, you know, like I said, I was scouring the website, and I just continue to be impressed with with what you're offering. It looks like it's going to be not just a real gift to our city, obviously, but but it gives you a chance to be an ambassador for Memphis for the forty percent right. of people that are coming in to, to to participate in a conference like this. Yeah, it's like one big commercial, right? I love the city. I love the people that are here. I think with this is such fertile ground for for change, and so if I can help be a part of uh, of others. Uh, being a part of leading that change, I will do it. That's what I'm here. I'm here to support creative people and creative work and making sure that the people uh, like me who grew up the weird kid from, uh, you know, right outside of Adventure River and then, you know, graduating from Bartlett High School. uh, Going to the Raleigh Springs Mall, buying records. That's right. Uh, Liberty Land, you know, all the fun stuff from back in the 80s. Like, I was the weird kid. I always struggled. It was like a culture struggle, right? Like, it's like my parents wanted me to be an attorney or a lawyer or a doctor or some, you know, something. And I always wanted to like kind of be the weird kid that drew and, and listen to music and played music. And, and it was just always a battle there. And, and what's really amazing and especially in other cities outside of Memphis, larger, more progressive cities, you know, creative people are thriving. Yes. So I know it's possible. It's just that we've got to learn to value uh, that talent and learn how to foster it, learn how to uh, grow it. Uh, and inspire it in ways, um, you know, that help keep keep people here in Memphis. Glancing forward, when we think about this ever-changing world that we're in, and one of my, you know, taglines I lean on is anybody that predicts the future is 100% wrong. You know, none, sure. of us, none of us thought we'd be sitting where we are right now four years ago, having gone through everything we've gone through in the last right. few years. What is the future for creatives? What, what, what are the growing edges? What, are the, what, is, what is just around the corner that you think you see that's going to become a little clearer over the next couple of years? What's the future for creatives? Well, I think I don't, this is not probably true in a sense, but like it is. Like uh, capitalism or markets like breed innovation, yeah. right? And creative, creatives and creative people are at, at the center of, of innovation, right? So um, as time continues to go on and – this is just this is all backed up with data. I'm gonna I'm not gonna, I'm not speculating here. Um, I just can't provide you the you know the number and verse or whatever. But like basically, creative people are going to continue to get into positions of leadership across the world. They're going to continue to create and iterate and sharpen and uh, provide 
you know, the, the inspiration that we all need to keep going to get better. Um, I think this, the future will be a world where creatives are seen alongside business leaders uh, and C-suite executives as people that are valued in a company, right? Um, and I think it's already happening now in other cities and other larger corporations, but I think it'll just continue to grow. And I think it's undeniable that this will happen in Memphis too, right? Or in post-industrial cities that, you know, are still trying to find their way or their narrative outside of a, you know, historical context. Mm. I, I, I sense hope in that. Absolutely. I sense hope for our city yeah. as, you know, our, uh, the economy is a little different in Memphis than it would have been, say, 100 years ago. Right. You know, um, I, I sense hope in what you're saying and that they can help join in the – they can be on the front edge, be at the decision-making table to, to rebirth the That's city right. into, the new, in, into the next 100 years. That's right. And I've got four kids, and I'm raising them all here Well, hold on, hold on. God bless you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I have four kids and I'm raising them here in Memphis and like, I just don't want them to grow up to feel like I did about the city and the community I lived in. Right. Like it's one thing to have it from your parents, right? Your parents are supposed to kind of like knock you down a little bit, you know, and that's probably a healthy thing to a certain extent. But when you got the city knocking you down for wanting to be different, that's an entirely different thing. And so, you know, that's my, the thing that drives me every single day is like looking at my kids and thinking, man, I want, I don't want them to run from this place because then they'll leave me in the dust. And, uh, you know, I want to hopefully create a space to where that they can feel free to express themselves, to create new things. And then also I hope that Memphis becomes a place where more people can create, uh, especially the ones that are born and raised here, Mm. right? Because if you don't do that, then you empower people with resources to come into the city and tell you who the, who they are. Sorry, tell you who you are, and then you you know of all the soul words that you see around town these days, you lose your soul. That's how a place loses its soul. It doesn't take care of the people that they've got in it. Mm, that's a good word. Well, I want to close with a question we love to ask people at the end of every episode. What is your hope for the city of Memphis? I hope that Memphis, uh, you know, starts to take a long, hard look at where it's going and where it could possibly go and starts to not abandon our history, but really to start to lean into who we are and what we have right now. Um, and and that becomes the, the pressing narrative or that becomes the thing that we lead with. Um, so often I feel like, you know, I, I used to say this, I used to talk about Memphis and kind of like a, if it looks like uh, – it looks like and it tastes sorry it looks like and smells like a museum it's probably a museum and so many of the things that that's probably not the best way to say that by the way but like I haven't tasted a museum in right, weeks exactly, so I just want to go right, on the record right. on that okay. I'm sure there is a taste yeah. uh, I've been to the Pink Palace before <laughs> there's got to be something I got there it's just like a thing in your mouth but anyway but you are immune to covid though that's right exactly <laughs> that's right, that's right. Um, so i just you know my thing is like I, there is so much more to this city and there is so much more uh, that needs to be shared than the same old narratives that we continue to push. You I mean, think, there's something more than basketball, Elvis, and barbecue? There's nothing wrong with basketball. No, there's uh, not. Nothing wrong with barbecue. Bar- and there's nothing, <laughs> nothing wrong with Elvis. Nothing wrong with Elvis. But yes, absolutely, 100%. I agree. I know where you're going with that, and yeah. I completely agree. Like, those are all things that we can love and we can lift up and we can own, Right. But if that's all we're owning and every time someone wants to do something different, they always just point you back to those things, like that's not good. And that just shows the future generation, regardless of, 
of you know race, econo- socioeconomics, like that you're just not welcome here, mm-hmm. right? And um, I just that's the that's the part of Memphis that I think is the hardest part to swallow. It's just kind of like you know systemic you know uh, structures kind of in our city and the way this this place runs that we can you know it's regardless of how long we keep them in power or keep them in place, one day they won't be here. And it's like, how, how long do you want to uh, go through it or be on the other side of it? Yeah. That is a good word to close on. Josh, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us on this episode of the heart of the city. We want to thank everyone for taking the time to be with us on this episode. Again, we hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you love what you're hearing, share it with your friends and we will be back soon.